Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. Zuby is back on the podcast. I would say Zuby is the master of hypocrisy. He identifies it. He calls it out. He writes about it. He is not afraid to say what he thinks. He's also a musician slash rapper slash fitness expert slash writer. He wrote a book on fitness called Strong Advice. I love some of his recent tweets like, the harder you work, the better your genetics get and the more lucky you become. I'd rather be called an influential person than an influencer. We just talk about the state of the world and update. And here's Zuby. Zuby, what's going on? I see you all over the place. You were on Joe Rogan, Tiny Little Podcast, and now, of course, you're on a mega enormous podcast, mine. I always think of you as the king of anti-hypocrisy. Like, anytime <laughs> I feel there's something hypocritical going on in the world, I'll go onto your Twitter account and see what you're saying, and, and usually you're saying something incredibly insightful in a, in a much better way than I would have said it, so... Wanted to just uh, have you out back on the podcast and and chat about things. No doubt. Well, happy to be here, James. It's always a pleasure. Just out of curiosity, what's the, you know, I saw you commented briefly about monkeypox, which of course is, <laughs> you know, it was literally <laughs> as if they were running out of news. Like, like Amber Heard was the only thing in the news. Like, I, I did a comparison between Google searches on Ukraine and Google searches on Amber Heard, and Amber Heard was dwarfing Ukraine. So which oh, just wow. shows you how ridiculous things are. But now, of course, they needed something quote-unquote real. So monkeypox, which is happening in your neck of the woods, I guess. There's there's more cases than than here. Isn't it like 90 cases worldwide or something? Yeah, well, that, that, isn't that a pandemic now? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not deeply concerned, to be honest with you. Um, and I think it would be quite hard to get me deeply concerned. But, you know, in terms of the grander scheme, the truth is that the media tells people what, they should care about and who they should fear, what they should fear. Um, and that's kind of how it goes. It makes sense in a way, but it never ceases to amaze me just how quickly you can divert people's attention towards whatever you want them to pay attention to. I mean, I guess one could argue that is literally the purpose of media to direct and redirect people's um, attention. And it's not something that is 
inherently bad or sinister, but it's pretty crazy how the narrative just shifts. It's like, okay, focus on this thing. And then two weeks later, nope, okay, pay attention to this thing. Nope, now we're changing again here. Pay attention and look at this thing and care about this thing. And um, it's quite tiring at this stage because I think for the past seven to eight years especially, it's been really nonstop. It's been really nonstop, I think, both in the UK and in the USA, especially with the, with the fear narratives. It's like they want hundreds of millions or billions of people just to be living in constant fear all of the time. And I don't think that's healthy. It's good to know and have some idea about what's going on in your world and what's happening in the country and what's happening outside of it in general. But it also drives people insane if you're constantly being beaten over the head with negativity and with fear and stuff that stokes division and hostility. Yeah, and and you say it's good to be informed, but I sort of feel like the media doesn't really inform because, I mean, look, I've I've been in the media and I've been outside the media being written about, and I've also just mm-hmm. been, like everyone else, a casual observer of, or not so casual observer of the media. And I find that it rarely actually informs. Like if you really want to be informed, you kind of have to go to the source. So if you really want to find out about monkeypox, which which I haven't yet and I and I don't <laughs> doubt I will, but I would read medical papers and actually you know, you don't have to be a doctor to read. So mm. I would read medical papers and try to form my own opinion. Like what do you think it's actually necessary ever to pay attention to the media? I mean, necessary? I wouldn't go as far as necessary. Um, unless your job somehow depends on it. I'd say with what I do, it's good for me to have like at least a, a high level overview of what is getting hype and what people are caring about. But I mean, you can never, you could, you could never watch the news again in your life and you could live perfectly well, probably live, live happier than people who consume a lot of it. So I don't think for the vast majority of people, it's any type of, of necessity. But I guess as human beings, there's a natural level of curiosity and interest in the world around us. And again, you don't need to get that from the media. You can be very informed by, as you said, going directly to the source and looking at other things. But perhaps even to know what to look into, some of that might be informed by what other people are talking about and paying attention to. Right. I agree with that. So I I would say I took a media diet for about 10 years and it was mm. only in the beginning of COVID that I started reading the media in order to sort of interpret what was the media was saying to help people figure out what reality was. Cause there was a little too much fear and that concerned me. And, uh, but you, you said it just, just a second ago, people, you don't have to read, you, ha- you don't have to read the news or watch the news to know what people are talking about. People are talking about it. And that mm-hmm. tells you what, you know, the media is probably saying. And I find that, okay, people are talking about there's a war going on. So let's read about the history of this, what's actually happening, blah, blah, blah. You know, read sources who might be on the ground and 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 so on, as opposed to reading, you know, the New York Times or the Washington Post or whatever it is. And mm-hmm. I find that my life was much happier on my <laughs> on my tenure. I thought my media diet was gonna last forever. Unfortunately, COVID was so extreme and there were so many lies on every side. It's not like, oh, liberal this, right, that. It was just all bullshit all around. 
So, and I, and people were scared. So Robin and I would do these Instagram lives to kind of, you know, translate, but mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of going back to the, the, the media diet just cause life gets depressing with too much news, but what, what's, what's kind of, I mean, you, you've, you've, you've been through 20 different cycles of hypocrisy in the past year or so. I mean, <laughs> and, and, and even before that, like starting, you know, I should mention you won the woman's world deadlifting championship or something like that. And we've talked about that before, but you, for, for the purposes of a tournament, you identified as a woman, kicked some ass literally, and, uh, became a world <laughs> champion. And, and you were there, obviously, you know, it's a serious issue and you were making a point, but you, you, you really have crusaded against the hypocrisy you see. And do you think there are results from that? Do you think, it, you think it's worthwhile to point out what's hypocrisy or do people just get angry at you? <laughs> Yeah, I'll be honest, man. I think I've red-pilled at least hundreds of thousands of people in various ways, shapes, and forms. I mean, millions upon millions of people around the world see see my content now, which is pretty crazy. And you don't always know the impact that you're having on people because that's not necessarily visible most of the time, right? I mean, you you blog, you've written multiple books, you run a podcast, you do all kinds of things. And however big you think your reach is or your influence is, I can guarantee you it's considerably bigger than that because a lot of people are quiet and you don't really know who's consuming. You put this podcast out there, you can see the numbers, but you don't know how it affected people. You don't know what lessons they learned from that or what tidbit they took from your book. The very first time we talked and we interacted, I mean, you didn't know that I'd read a couple of your books before, but I had. I knew who you were, right? Yeah. Um, as from, I've known who you were from probably seven or eight years ago. And it wasn't until perhaps two years ago that our paths crossed and it was like, oh, cool, okay. Um, and that's how it goes. It, the same thing happens when you, when you do music. But now in this day and age with so many people on social media, it's the, it's the same thing. You put stuff out there whether it's on YouTube or it's Twitter or it's Instagram or it's Facebook. And it, a lot of people, a lot of people see it. I mean, I, if I look at my impressions, I mean, on Twitter alone last year, my account did over 2 billion impressions. You're, you're like the best tweeter out there. I think like, <laughs> thank you. you thank you, you. You have again, such a great way of getting right to the heart of the matter. And, mm. and that shows to your, your qualities as a, as a writer and as a thinker. And part of my, my interest always is not just talking about, oh, what's hypocrisy and what's not, but I really like how you, you know, a lot of people think, oh, if you're the type of person, because I've gotten this accusation, oh, he's just trying to be controversial. He's taking something <laughs> in something important and just taking a contrarian stand for his own personal gain, which is ridiculous because nobody gets paid on Twitter at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like if I really want to do something for my personal gain, I would avoid all social media and focus exactly. on my personal gain. But what does drive you to act and and how do mm. you what when do you act and how do you think about these things because again I'm I think you're you're really good at summarizing things so concisely I'd like to do that better and I feel like I'm pretty good at it but I'd like to do it mm. even better Yeah well I think that's my I think that's my superpower I mean I do a lot of different things now of course it started out I mean I released my first album way back in 2006 and have put out, you know, another another seven since then. And as a rapper, and then on top of that now, of course, uh, I run my own podcast and appear on a lot of other people's. I do public speaking. I'm an author, a writer. 
And all of these things are essentially working the same muscle for me. It is taking complex ideas, which are some, sometimes abstract, and expressing them in a succinct, clear, and clever, sometimes even humorous way. And that's the that's something I'm I'm really good at, and I've put thousands and thousands of hours into, um, and put out hundreds of thousands of, I mean, if you want to call it pieces of content, then you know, probably millions at this point. I mean, every single conversation, every single podcast, every single tweet, every single post, everything. And so, in terms of what motivates me, it's the same reason why I wanted to go full time with my music because I believe my mission on this earth is to positively inspire, motivate, and impact millions of people without compromising my own integrity, authenticity, nor message. That's what my goal is. That's why I wanted to become an artist. And I thought I was going to do all that just through my music. And I still do it through my music. But over the years, I've added a few additional strings to the bow. But the motivation remains the same. It's all about being a positive inspiration and motivator to people. And I want to encourage people to think. I don't want to exactly tell people what they must think, but I want people to think. And for various reasons, I think right now in the current sort of socio and cultural climate, you're not really supposed to think, right? People get mad at you if you think. You're just supposed to go along with the narrative and repeat the phrase and do what you're told to do. You're not meant to question anything, challenge anything. And that's not the way things should be. In fact, that's that's a very dangerous premise when you're talking about hundreds of millions or billions of people. If people are just blindly going along with every single narrative and they're not questioning things and they're not challenging things and they're saying things that don't make sense and they're behaving in ways that don't make sense, then that's actually really dangerous. You can take a cursory look back at history and see times when people got caught up in these type of mass psychosis events or when people were unwilling to ask questions or challenge things that didn't make sense and which were either completely nonsensical or outright immoral or unethical. And it leads to very, very dark roads. And I'm very aware of that. I also think there's just so much negativity out there, man. In the world of music and entertainment, especially in hip hop, there's always been, you know, my entire life, there's a lot of negativity out there. As we were taught discussing with the news, I mean, you turn on the news and within 10 minutes, you're feeling. In a, in a lower mood, you're starting to feel, you know, angry and upset and fearful and sad. And I don't know, I just, I feel, I think there's so much negativity out there. And I think we need a big dose of optimism and hope and positivity. And, and that can all be done in a way that's also very real and authentic, right? I'm not someone who shies away from the the ills of the world of the world or the sins of humanity or anything like that in fact i'm very something i think about a lot and it's uh you know some part of my content it, it's it's balancing it it's balancing it out and you can recognize that life is difficult and there's hardship and there's all types of struggle every single person goes through all different types of struggle whether you can see it or not um and life is harsh and the world is violent and people die every year 60 million 60 million people die every single year everybody gets sick people get old there's tragedies there's wars there's diseases there's there's all sorts of bad sad and negative stuff that's out there it does exist and it always has and it likely always will but there's also so much positivity 
And you need to have hope because if you don't have hope, then both on an individual level and a, on a societal level, then you're, you end up on a very, on a very dark path. And so I, I like to, I guess, inject that hope and optimism and positivity and try to shift people's mindsets in a better direction. It's why I'm also so big on, you know, personal responsibility and self-accountability and self-improvement, self-empowerment, all of that stuff, because the truth is no one's going to, no one's going to do it for you. You know, no one can do it for you. You know, the, the politicians and government aren't going to do it for you. Uh, you know, random people on the street aren't going to fix your life for you. Ultimately, it comes down to you. And that might scare some people and be uncomfortable to to hear, but also it should it should make people feel empowered. It should make people feel empowered that uh, if you're not happy with where things are and where your life is, the best thing about it is you can you can do something about that. You know, so so, but let's take as an example. So there is a lot of negativity in the world, and there's and ev- like you say, everybody's going through something. Everyone has challenges. What keeps you? For, for what's what's the last time you've had a challenge that really struck you, where you were like, oh. That that hit me. I have to mm. kind of work through this. That's a good question, man. Um, you know, like on, on a minor level, it happens. <laughs> it sort of happens all the time. Sure. Um, in terms of major stuff, I mean, over the past two years, especially in the, I mean, in the UK, for example, there was this third really, really long lockdown, which went all the way from like late December. 2020 all the way up until around April or May 2021 and it was dark and it was cold and it was isolating and there was like other stuff going on and it was just like it was just like a sad dark time yeah um it was hard to stay upbeat and optimistic and hopeful in that time period you know that 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 sucked to be honest that was not a fun period and certainly not something I'd want to I'd want to live through again. But all throughout my career, I mean, there have been all sorts of ups and downs. I, I thank God I'm very I'm very lucky and I'm grateful that I haven't had like. It's almost a weird question for me because I don't I don't really like to dwell on my low times and stuff like that because ultimately I'm so grateful and I know how fortunate I am that there's so many people in the world who are and have gone through so much more so much more crap and hardship than I have. So whilst, yes, we all have our challenges and struggles, I don't really like to dwell in it. I like to dwell more on my, on my blessings uh, and the things that I'm, that I'm grateful for and project that out to the world. Because, yeah, there's the grind, there's the hustle. If you're an entrepreneur, <laughs> we, we all know as, as an entrepreneur, there's, there's all types of very high highs and very low lows and maybe make a lot of money and lose a lot of money and people don't believe in what you're doing and you face, you know, get rejected thousands and thousands and thousands of times, but then you also have the wins and all of that. But to me, that's all a choice and that's also part of the, it's just part of the process, right? If you want to be successful, then you kind of just have to go through that grind and you have to survive that grind and it never it never totally stops it's always there in some way shape or form but to me that's just kind of that that's just how it is that's not a uh, something to for me to get caught up in too much i mean from a societal point of view then what gives you optimism because again a lot of the stuff you focus on is the stuff that oh yeah he's right i'm getting angry about this now <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I love people, man. I love humanity. I often say that people are the best and worst thing on, on earth. 
which I think we really are. I mean, the human species and the human condition is such a an infinitely fascinating topic to me. And actually a lot of my a lot of my content is kind of based around that, really. It's just, you know, talking about the world and society and people and myself and everybody else and just trying to trying to make sense of it. You know, I'm I'm really someone who's trying to make sense of the world and trying to seek the truth and speak the truth. I know a lot of things, but there's far more that I don't know than what I know. And I'm just trying to get to I'm trying to get to the truth. I'm just trying to understand the world better. I'm trying to understand myself, other people, countries, individuals, entities, everything. Um, I, I think that's just an infinite pool of interest. But I think I'm driven by the fact that I, I have a real genuine love for humanity, for people. As dark as things can be and as much as human behavior disturbs me on a daily basis and how much stuff there is to be sad about, it's also, man, like it, there's so much good there's so much good and people have so much potential as well. And that's something I really, really recognize. It's something I recognize in myself. And from a young age, I've always been working to try to fulfill my own potential. It's part of why I'm so into going to the gym and uh, constantly being creative and making new things and putting them out there and working on my skills and trying to learn new languages and trying to do this and that, like mentally, physically, spiritually, knowledge. I'm trying to get better every single day. And I think that if Every, and I want to encourage people to do the same. I want, I want to be an example of that. But I also want to, people to recognize the potential that they have. Because number one, if you, if you focus on your potential and you focus on living it out, then it gives you the power to help way more people, right? The more you fulfill your own potential in these different areas, the more people that you are able to help. And as a result, you become more successful, you help more people, that ripples outwards. And also, if you are focused on that, then you're not focused on trying to, if you're, if you're trying to build your own empire and you're trying to build up yourself, then you're not trying to tear down other people's empires. You're not trying to tear down other people. Like I, I imagine you don't spend huge amounts of time during your week or over the years going on uh, various platforms and, and writing hateful and hurtful and insulting comments at random people. It's like, you don't- Not you don't, with my real focus account, is, only with my troll account. <laughs> you know, like your, your, your focus isn't there. And I think, especially as a man, I mean, I, I often say that men are always either creating or destroying. And, and, and I think that's true. You know, we're, we're builders and we're, we're destroyers by nature. And if you are not building and you're not being constructive- then whether or not you know it, you're probably being destructive. You're probably destroying your own body or you're destroying your own mind or you're destroying other people's bodies and minds or you're pulling down society and so on. And I'd like to have less of that and I'd like to have more people constructively building. So number one, I can directly help more people and as a byproduct of that become more successful and then, yeah, I can encourage people to do the same thing. And I think that there are a few things that you can do that are more noble than that. So that's then, really where my focus is. Building yourself is what you're mm -hmm. saying. Because then building yeah, yourself build, Yeah, you, you build yourself. You encourage other people to build themselves. And we all build each other up. You know, a lot of people have this idea about the world that we live in this zero-sum game. And that one person's success 
or happiness somehow is taking away from other people's. A lot of people have that mindset, and I think it's a very toxic mindset. People who see something good happen to someone else or someone achieves something or they have something to, they want to celebrate and their first instinct is to insult them or try to tear them down or to try to diminish what they've created. And I think that's very sad. I mean, I love seeing people win. I love celebrating other people's success and it inspires me, right? If one, it's like, cool, if someone can do that, it shows it can be done, right? If they can do it, why, why can't I do it? I never see someone achieve some cool interesting success and um, they're wanting to rip the person down. I mean, that's that's so crazy to me. It's something I see every single day. That's one thing that's fascinating about social media is you can you, you get to see the full spectrum of the type of mindsets that are out there. And it never ceases to amaze me how some people just wallow in this negativity and always, always, every day, they're just there trying to rip down other people, hating on people, trying to diminish other people's, what they're doing, you know, the, and people like that, they're, they're not, that's the thing, right? They're not building anything. And because they're not building anything, because they're not on their game and working on self-improving, they're trying to tear down the people who are. And that that sucks. I also think it's a very immature mindset to have, and it just doesn't reflect reality. And if someone goes through their entire life like that, then they're going to be both miserable and unsuccessful. And I think actually the world would be a much better place if we can encourage more people to be happy and successful. It's all synergistic to me. I think that you know someone else, another man succeeding, isn't taking anything. They're not taking anything from me. In fact, any if anything, it's it's the opposite, right? They're putting that out into the ether, and that is a model, an example, and that ripples outwards, and other people can then also become successful off of that. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period. And I loved it. I I became a really good guest of Airbnbs. And I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still, to this day, get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be... VP of en- entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. I sort of feel like the last great time on social media was roughly like 2012 to 2015. Mm-hmm. Like it was kind of like, and I'm, I'm not blaming any political party or person, but it was sort of like before the 2016 elections, but after the financial crisis and we had the world had sort of basically come back from that, things weren't as heated. Maybe we were yeah. like tired as a society. And so I felt that was a good time where more people were focusing on how to better themselves as opposed to just uh, uh, hanging on to the last headline. And, you know, people were more focused a little inward and they weren't as much, there were still accusations on social media. Social media is what it is, but <laughs> it, it was a little more relaxing. You could say something without being crucified for it. Yes. Although yeah, I guess well, occasionally I, I was, I saw, I guess I personally started getting crucified around 2012 or 2013. It would be, <laughs> it would be more like once a year rather than like 12 times a year. Mm, mm, not a monthly occurrence. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think we're living in an age of overcorrection. And I think we're overcorrecting on a lot of different things, right? I think w- these days almost everything seems to be an overreaction or an overcorrection, right? So very minor transgressions are viewed as, you know, these terrible, catastrophic, world-ending events. You know, someone says something that's slightly out of line and all of a sudden they're the worst person in the world and we must, you know, destroy them and stop them from ever earning a living and there's no way for them out of it. And everything just gets, everything just gets so, so exaggerated, right? I mean, yes, there, you know, there's, there's been a virus going around for the last couple of years, but the, I mean, can people, especially especially now at this point, you know, can can we really say that the the response was, you know, I thought it was disproportionate from early, but it, it's clearly it's, it's, it was clearly disproportionate, right? And it's this all or nothing mentality where it's like, okay, every either either you're denying that something exists, or you're saying that it's absolutely nothing, or it's 
an exist, you know, an existential crisis and the world is going to end and everything. It happens with everything. It's happening right now with, um, it's been happening for a, a while now, you know, the whole, say the, I don't, I barely ever talk about this issue, but like the whole climate change thing. Right. So either you must you believe You better not that say something I disagree with either, right now. Either, either you must believe that this is like the greatest existential threat to humanity ever. And we have like, what, 10 years to reverse it. And if we don't, then we're all going to be underwater and everything's going to melt. And, you know, it, it's, everything's going to die, right? Either that, you, it's either that, or um, if you don't, if you, if that's not your view, then people will say that, oh, you're a, you know, you're a climate change denier and you hate science and you are, you're probably, you probably also believe the world is flat and that, all these other things in your conspiracy theory. And it's like, dude, is there, is there no middle ground between anything, right? The same thing happens with politics now. And it's like, you have to be totally like, everything's totally, you know, it's far left or it's far right. Right. It's like, aren't most people just kind of like pretty normal and hovering somewhere around the middle? Like I'm pretty sure in real life, that's what, how it is, but it's these false dichotomies all the time. And I think, Sometimes, especially in online discourse, number one is not very well suited for it. But I think also there's a lot of lazy thinking and it's a lot easier to just throw things into binaries and eliminate all nuance and rely totally on these straw man arguments of anyone who you think is your opposition and so on. And it's not helpful. And I think that's one of the things that's leading to the increasing polarization and division and the sort of hostility and animosity that people feel towards each other because it's being painted by this picture and very you no know, various media channels also push this narrative that it's you know it, it's just good guys and bad guys and it's just there's just two views out there and if you don't believe in x view then you must believe in y view and you know y view makes you a terrible human being x view makes you a good human being and it's that simple right if your if your friend believes in y then he should no longer be your friend, right? If your family member believes in X, then they're a terrible person and you probably shouldn't even associate with them and so on. And they did this with Trump. They did this with Brexit. They did this with BLM. They did this with COVID. They're doing it now, right? It's just like they, we've had all of these narratives. It's like every single year you get a new narrative and each time it just stokes more hostility, more division and more right. paranoia amongst people. And I, I don't think it's healthy nor sustainable. And, and you're not allowed to opt out of the discussion either because like if you say for instance i'm just not going to have an opinion then that means you're <laughs> against er everybody that Actually, means that means you have the that, if if you're not willing to say it it means that you have the the opposite you 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 have the uh terrible opinion whatever the terrible opinion is so so like so like for instance i during each election i always write that i'm not going to vote and <laughs> this this year in particular everybody was upset at me like i was accused of everything possibly imaginable from, from both sides. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I would try to explain like, look, I have, a, you know, one vote is one vote, but I have a podcast that has many listeners and I write to, to many people. I mean, it used to be the case that, that journalists, for instance, and I'm not a journalist, I, I'm, I'm a little different from that and, and so are you, but journalists, for instance, would be reluctant to vote because they wanted to be neutral. Their ideal would be mm -hmm. to be neutral so they could report on things. And so I would explain to people that, if I voted, that probably would in some way bias me towards one side or the other. And yes. I want to be as unbiased as possible so I could have both camps or three camps or 20 camps 
on my podcast without worrying about anybody thinking about my bias. Mm. And, but that was not an acceptable response. I mean, literally, because I wasn't one vote out of 100 million, I was called racist or transphobic or whatever it is that people were, were voting on. So it's an interesting thing that we're seeing more tribalism in group, out group than ever before. Well, let's not say more than ever before, because I'm sure we can all think of uh, far, far, far worse examples over the past century or so of that. I would agree, but not on so many topics, I feel. So mm. it might be the case that, okay, in the United States, right before the Civil War, senators were beating each other up in the, on Capitol Hill. <laughs> but it was over one issue. It wasn't like, oh, you're this, this, and this, so now I have to beat you up. Like now it's like there's there's many issues happening at the same time. Yeah, I mean, there are. Um, you know, social media certainly doesn't help with it. It certainly fuels the fire. I don't think it's the primary cause. I think the primary cause is actually um, a lot deeper. I think it's more spiritual than anything else. Um, but it, it amplifies it. And news, let me not even call it news, information travels so quickly and ideas, both good and bad, can be spread and shared to millions of people within, honestly, within minutes now. And as amazing and potentially helpful as that is, it can also be massively, can also be massively destructive, especially when, see, one thing about social media as well is people forget that you are interacting with human beings. And I, I think this is a massive problem on on Twitter, especially, which is that you, you when you're talking to someone in real life, there are so many cues from body language to vocal inflections to just being able to look at someone in the eye and have them there and have that natural human empathy and connection that keeps conversations within a, a certain realm. But when it's like you're just hitting on a keyboard or tapping on your phone and you have no idea who's on the other end of it, and you know maybe it's not even a real person, maybe it's a bot, it's this and that, and you've got this audience, and as you said, you've already kind of got these, these ingrained teams, then it just leads to this very chaotic and dishonest and not particularly helpful conversation. And you know, I, I think what's sad is that people who should know better are, you know, some of the worst at this, really. Like, it's one thing for teenagers to behaving like behaving like this on the internet, but when it is leaders of countries or cities or states or its so-called reputable mainstream media outlets, and they are very obviously fanning the flames and, you know, using these straw man arguments and posting these ridiculous headlines, you know, these attention grabbing headlines, which are literally designed to trigger people and cause outrage and get them to share it. And maybe they didn't even read the article, right? They just saw the headline and then they share it and they comment on it. And next thing you know, you've got millions of people commenting and sharing. Maybe like 10% of them actually bothered to even read past the headline. I, I feel like you're describing the story of my entire literary career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's not, um, I get why it happens from a kind of emotional and psychological perspective, but my concern is just that it's not, I just don't think it is sustainable. And something that certainly gives me hope is that, you know, when you, when you, when you look up and you actually interact with people in the real world, I mean, most people are still sane. 
Um, if you spend, you know, eight hours a day on Twitter, it can you can start to think that oh my gosh, like everyone has lost their mind and everyone is crazy and like so many people believe in this crazy idea or whatever. But then I don't know. You just go out in the real world, go take a walk around the city or where you live, or go to the beach or whatever, and you talk to people. It's like actually. Most people are pretty sane and normal, and most people, wherever you are in the world, something important you learn from traveling, most people want a pretty similar thing. Most people want to be healthy, they want to be safe, they want to have a family, they want their family to be safe and healthy, they want to take care of their kids, they don't want, though they want to have a decent degree of liberty and freedom, they don't want to uh, be under the boot of the government or a gang or another individual or something. Most people have pretty similar, you know, we, we, have, we have fairly similar things that we're, we're striving towards on, on, on the high level. But I think, again, there's been so much focus recently, not on the commonality, but on the things that we, that we disagree on, right? The things that you can get everyone to fight about. So that that's where all the focus is because as similar as we are, human beings are also very different. We've got eight, about 8 billion people on this planet. We all have different personality types. People have different belief systems. People have grown up in different places, different cultures, different languages, different societies. So there's so much true diversity that's out there as well. And I think sometimes the the it seems like the focus always is on the is is on the differences. And you you've got people who even make a living, you know, by focusing on the differences and stoking the division. And this can happen along racial lines, gender lines, ethnic lines, nationality, how much money people are earning, what street people live on, like what what party of obviously politics, what party you vote for, whatever. And it's I mean, I guess that's not that's not something new. I mean, all throughout human history there have always been these uh, you know, these points of division. There's always been tribalism, there's always been conflict. But you know, if you live, say, in the UK or you live in the USA, um, you live in a, a modern, a modern Western country. Let's say we we truly do live in the most prosperous, the least discriminatory, the least violent, lowest infant mortality, highest life expectancy, and so on. You know, despite all the problems and struggles that still exist in the world. It's hard to point to another, uh, certainly century. Maybe, maybe you could point to another decade, right? Maybe you can be like, oh, maybe the 2000s were better. But um, it, it's hard to certainly point to another century, right? Is there any time, like, let's say prior to, like, the, the 1950s, let's even say, where, where someone would have rather lived in that time? You know, would anyone rather live, go back to the 1500s or the 1600s or the 1200s? No. no. And, and, so, and, you know, just to that point, and sorry to interrupt, but uh, there's no other... Every century has been actually surprisingly less violent than the century prior. So as a percentage of the population, violent deaths per century has gone straight down since the beginning of recorded history. So Absolutely. even though last century there was nuclear bombs and two mm -hmm. quote-unquote world wars, it was actually mm -hmm. a less violent century than the century before. And that yeah. century was a less violent century than the century before that. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming and, and, this and, century will be less violent than the last century. Yeah, and, and even beyond violence, what about all the other things that can kill people, right? What about, I mean, what percentage of people used to die before the age of two? Yeah. Right? It was like a double-digit double percentage. Um, you know, babies were dying left, right, and center, and that was just kind of 
the norm. There are so many diseases now that have been completely eradicated, which used to take out millions and millions of people. Um, you know, there are actually less less wars now than there used to be. There's, there's still a lot of war. There's still too much war that's going on. But, um, you know, in my lifetime, it's not like there's been some military draft or something where, okay, well, even, you know, 17, 18-year-olds and every guy in their 20s, you know, we're going to ship you off to another country and you've got to go fight to the death. I mean, that that happened a lot in the past. So the reason why I'm bringing this all up is just to maintain this degree of perspective, because I think that's one thing that sort of is fueling a lot of the problems. I think when you don't focus on the things to be to be grateful for, then you only see the negative, right? You only see the problems. And while it's important to recognize problems and to try to fix issues that still exist, it's also perhaps even more important to kind of take stock of the progress that's been made, even if you want to look at the last 100 years, right, from 1922 to 2022, right? Let's take the USA, right? Take one country. Look at the USA. Look at the USA's progress from 1922 to 2022. And it's been phenomenal. I mean, that's one person's lifetime, right? That's yeah. one long lifetime. And you see how much has changed and how much more, uh, as you said, you know, like far, le far less violence, much better health, you know, people's, in terms of the way people treat each other and, you know, discriminate, you know, overcoming discrimination and segregation and outright, you know, you want to talk about tribalism, like really, really nasty stuff. And so is, does that mean that everything right now is perfect? No, it's not perfect, right? We don't, we're never going to have a perfect world because human beings are not perfect. But that's, that's, a pretty, that's something to be proud of, right? So why dwell every single day all of the time? It's like, why always dwelling on the negativity, always dwelling on the problems? But it's like, hey, actually, can we take a minute and be grateful for the fact that so much progress has been made in such a relatively short amount of time? Um, and I think also when, when people don't recognize that oftentimes they end up making moves that take things backwards. And this is something I've been seeing over the past few years where it's like in, in your effort supposedly to address a problem, you go and you make it worse and you actually set us back a few decades, well, right? What do you and, mean? Okay. Um, what I mean is let's take an obvious example. If you look at this modern day, what people call anti-racism movement. It's going back to the notion that one of the most important thing about somebody is their race. It is their ethnicity, right? Like you're, you're supposed to focus on that. They want you to, they want me to focus on the fact that I'm black and you're white, right? Or like you're Jewish or I'm, the, or this person's this or this person's that. And that's supposed to be the thing that I'm thinking about every day and I'm focusing on and I'm supposed to now treat people differently based on their superficial skin color, where, where their ancestors came from. And the people who promote this will even say things such as being so-called colorblind reinforces systemic racism and so on. And they'll, they'll push this on children and they'll make children very, very conscious of their color so that they start seeing their classmates. Instead of seeing their classmates and their friends, they start seeing their white classmates and their classmates of color and their brown classmates. And, they're into, and it, it's like, that's backwards. There are places in the USA, you've got universities there and schools where they have separate parent-teacher conferences for white students and white parents and students of so-called color and parents of color, or where they have segregated dormitories 
Does that sound like progress? How are you? How how is this a thing? So that's like a gigantic step backwards. All through my life, growing up, eighties, nineties, two thousands, it was always, hey, treat everybody equally, right? Like, yeah, sure, we all look different. People have different backgrounds or whatever, but that doesn't matter. That doesn't tell you about their heart, their content of character, right? Like, judge judge people as individuals. There's a pretty famous person, you know, uh, Martin Luther King, who. Uh, <laughs> had a dream about his uh, children not being judged by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. And now you've got people who are calling themselves anti-racists and they're preaching the opposite. They're preaching that people should be judged not off the content of their character and not off their ideas and not off their behavior, but off of their skin color. And that is a giant step backwards. Yeah, it's it's so interesting because, I mean, you mentioned Martin Luther King. He was all about equal opportunity, you know, equal opportunity mm -hmm. for all. And I think that's been confused lately with equal outcomes. So, mm -hmm. so, and, and it turns out equal outcome actually is the opposite of equal opportunity, because if <laughs> no matter your opportunity, the outcomes are equal, then there's been an injustice in the system. Of course, mm -hmm. everyone should have equal opportunity. Otherwise there's an injustice in the system. But, uh, I, I think this focus that to be kind of politically correct on racial issues, you have to focus on equal outcomes and even equal outcomes over the past century. So taking into account mm -hmm. history, I think that's really sort of destroyed the discussion on that. But it's hard, yeah. it's hard for me to have that discussion because <laughs> I, you know, then there's this whole category, I think of liberalism that they think they're liberals, but they're all about equal outcome. Mm -hmm. And it's not a healthy discussion. I think you're able no, to say what you what you feel. Like I saw you recently on a news show where you were talking about BLM and everyone's like, yeah, mm -hmm. right on. But not everyone can say that. You, in, in part, I think you can say these things because you're black and mm -hmm. it's like you get a get out of jail free card when you talk about these, these issues. <laughs> well, it's, it's, not a, it's not a get out of jail free card, trust me on that because- uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'm know, sure I, you've I had your, your you feedback, plenty of, but, but I would have more yes. feedback. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, and and that's a shame. I mean, again, that in itself shows that it's a that 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 shows it's a step backwards because that shouldn't that shouldn't be the case, but this is the environment and climate that's been created especially over the past decade through all of that so-called activism. Okay, you want to talk about another thing going backwards? How about letting men into women's sports? How's that for a big step backwards? You know, it's it's interesting, and I, I guess Dave Chappelle made made the joke that, um, you know, and and he wasn't singling out Caitlyn Jenner specifically, but he said Caitlyn Jenner was a woman for the entirety of one year, and she became Woman mm -hmm. of the Year, be, yes. beating out the other three and a half billion women on the planet. And so mm -hmm. you try to explain to, oh, I'll explain to my daughters that that's not necessarily fair for them. <laughs> they work hard no, it's all not. their lives you know, being the best they and can be. And, and they are female. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like it, it, it's, it's odd. And, you know, I, I think a big, I think a reason that this is all happening is, um, you know, I think in, I think it's a couple things we've talked about many, but I think also a lot of the, the truth is a, a lot of the big battles have been won, you know, the, the, the big major battles in terms of equality, equality under the law, and generally treating people decently as individuals and not being horribly uh, prejudiced or you know discriminatory, let alone violent towards people based off of their immutable characteristics. Thankfully, that that's 
those battles have largely been won. Not everywhere in the world, but again, in, in our countries, those battles are largely, they've largely been won, right? If you were to go out and again, go, go out in any city, go, go, go to any city in the USA or in the UK, you'll typically just see people just, just getting on, getting on with life, getting on together. You'll see people, all sorts of people interacting of all ages, all colors, all whatever, right? People just interacting, living their lives, having their friends, their colleagues, and so on and so forth. Most people are not constantly, um, obsessing over every little sort of minor superficial difference between us. So, the necessity for that type of really strong sort of activism and movements and so on is, is largely diminished. And then I think that also leads into sort of boredom. I think a lot of people are kind of just bored and they don't really know where their energy should be going. Again, this comes back to my notion of like focusing inwards, right? And focusing on on self-improvement and creating and doing all that because the energy has to be dissipated somewhere. It has to be dissipated somewhere. And something I see with a lot of the people who get really obsessed with these ideas or who become activists and they're pushing, is they're, they're not people who have built anything of interest or admirable, right? And so they're, they're kind of projecting, they're, they're sort of spewing it out on everybody else. And maybe, maybe in their head, they think that they're doing something good. But I think a lot of them actually know that they're not. But I think that by wearing that activist cap, you can basically get away with being a really nasty and vindictive person whilst pretending to be a good person, right? Um, I'm sure you've I'm sure you've encountered this where you get people who they think because they say the right politically correct phrases or they have the right hashtag in their social media buyer or they put up the right flag or whatever that they can just go and bully people or be nasty to people or be be trolling and be writing nasty insults and messages to anyone who sort of crosses their way and it's okay because they have the you know so-called correct political opinion and it's um i don't i don't i don't know it's uh maybe i think i think this this has always existed to some degree but i think it's um i think it's really been exaggerated recently and yeah, we need less bored people. <laughs> yeah. I think that I think that's the title of a book. Actually, that could be your next book. <laughs> we need less bored people. But you know, yeah. it, it's funny. Like everybody was saying in 2016, how or 2020, this is the most important election ever. So there's a site, newspapers.com, where you can search newspapers back to like the 1700s. And so I looked at each election and I searched for the phrase, uh, "This is the most important election <laughs> ever." And apparently, every single presidential election since John Adams has been the most important election ever. You know, as Mark Twain says, history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. Looking for a rewarding, life-changing opportunity that enhances the lives of children in your community? Well, with almost 50 years of experience, Huntington Learning Center is the nation's leading K-12 tutoring and test prep franchise dedicated to shaping brighter futures for both students and franchisees. Huntington is the top revenue-producing supplemental education franchise in the U.S., and their proven system is the key to success for you and your students. The Huntington Advantage includes low startup cost turnkey systems, dedicated support teams, 
national and local marketing support, and multiple revenue streams to help you build a life-enriching and profitable business. No education experience needed. In today's environment, the need for tutoring has never been greater. When you become part of Huntington Learning Center, you're filling an urgent need in the growing $5 billion supplemental education industry. To learn more, visit HuntingtonFranchise.com. Make a meaningful difference, pursue your dreams of business ownership, and be a positive force in your community. Don't wait. Visit HuntingtonFranchise.com today. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I definitely got to use HIMS from now Not on. Not that you need it. You're, you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might, you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the HIMSS app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at HIMSS.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? HIMSS.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. HIMS.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See HIMS.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. Actually, I'm also interested in what's going on with your music career. Like, you know, you, yeah. you are focused on a lot of stuff and it probably prevents you from focusing as much as you would like on on hip hop. But what, what what's the latest with that? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, my latest album, Word of Zuby, came out in August 2021. So I've still got uh, several more music videos that I'm going to be putting out from that. I actually just recently got the vinyl copies of the album. So it's actually my very first album to ever come out on vinyl. Wow. It looks really dope. It's actually a one disc is purple, one disc is gold. It's a double 12 inch vinyl record. Um, well, why'd you do this? So, so DJs could use it? Um, actually for a more like fan service. Mm -hmm. um, I, over the years, I've actually had quite a lot of people ask me to put something out on vinyl. And I did the, I did a big Kickstarter project for the album earlier on last year, which was very successful. So I figured, let me use this opportunity to do a vinyl run as well. And I can also see what the level of demand is because people were able to pre-order the vinyl through the Kickstarter. 
So as an artist and as a creative, I like to I, I like to try different things. I figured with my ninth ninth music project, um, it would be a good idea to try putting it out in a different format. And so it was a little bit of an ex- experiment. And I also wanted to have something that's a, a collector's edition. So there's only 300 made. So anyone who gets a copy of the vinyl, you can rest assured that you're going to be one of 300 people in the world who's ever going to who's ever going to have it. So yeah, I just wanted to try something a little bit different in that no, regard. I think that's great. I think you know it's always for me with let's say writing, for instance, I always try to experiment with format. So if mm. if I have a let's say I have an idea and I want to write an article, I might not write it as like a usual article or post or whatever. I might write it as a Kickstarter campaign, for instance, and okay. get my writing through that. Like, there's always different formats or ways to to package things, and I think it's important to experiment to see what takes off. Twitter threads being a, a recent, not so mm. recent example, like people have been doing Twitter threads forever, but now they're more common than ever, and that's an interesting way to kind of reel out a, a set of thoughts or an article because it, because it doesn't get bogged down in prose. Actually, the, the many evils of writing don't come out in Twitter threads. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, but. I'm curious also, like, do you, you obviously, you, you rap, do you produce the beats or do you have a producer or do you buy the beats or what do you do there? Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not a music, I'm not a producer. I've never produced a beat in my life. So, but I work with a range of different producers all around the world. So on my latest album, I've got producers on there from the UK, from various countries in Europe, I've got American producers on there. I've got a Canadian producer on there as well. So I like to, I like to mix it up. I don't like all of my songs to sound the same. So I have certain producers who have made a lot of my songs, but it's a pretty big range. However, the the lyricism side of things, the the wordplay, I'm real I'm very much a words man. Um I'm I could probably teach myself to produce, but I probably don't need a sixth or a seventh job. So I'm happy to just focus on the lyrics and the performance and I let the production pros do that part. I mean, I always, uh, I mean, I admire all kinds of music, but I'm a huge fan of of hip hop and rap. Back mm-hmm. in the '90s, my job was to essentially make the websites for many well known, famous rappers from that era. Mm. And, but I'm always struck, like, what do you think? And I know this has nothing to do with what we were talking about earlier, but now we're getting That's to my good. real interest. <laughs> like, yeah. what what do you think separates out? A, a good rapper from a bad rapper because like like let's take some great examples some historical examples like Kanye West and Jay-Z they mm-hmm. they they're, they're an interesting example because they've worked together Jay uh Kanye West got his start producing um the, the blueprint or he got his big he's got his well-known start he was producing before them, but he produced the blueprint for for Jay-Z so they've worked together and and Kanye has gone on to be perhaps the most successful rapper of all time and many people said he couldn't both produce and and rap and yet perhaps jay-z is still the better rapper is mm-hmm. many people consider like what may what what makes someone good and obviously kanye is great as well but what makes someone good versus not as good mm. wow well I'll, okay I'll, I'll, i guess every answer is going to just be my answer i think there's both an objective and a subjective component actually i think that Art, you know, rap rapping does have technical aspects to it. So I think there's a part of it which is someone actually technically being a good rapper. And even with that, there's going to be some degree of subjectivity 
but in terms of you know flow ability to stick to a beat, um, mm. the some level of lyricism, I guess, is lyricism. I guess could be split down. So I feel like some. I feel like some of it is is close to objective, and some of it is is not in the same way that a, a writer you can. I I don't know. It's it it's it's a tricky one because people have such people have such different criteria in terms of what they value and what they like in music. And the same with rappers. There there are people who do not care about who really don't care about lyricism. Right. There's a lot of people who don't care about lyricism at all. Right. It's all about like the vibe or the flow or the swag or like, you know, they just like the voice or they just like the beat. Some people don't even really listen that much to the rapping and they just care more about the production. Um for me personally, in terms of what I think makes a good rapper is the, I'd say, I'd say a combination of lyricism, delivery, um, narrative slash story that they, that they're able to weave originality. Um, I feel like originality is also a function of production. Mm. Maybe not the originality of the mm. lyrics that doesn't have to do with the production, but uh, you know, if you look at like again, like Kanye's albums, they're mm. like this production tour de force. Mm. No matter what the the rap and the rapping's still great, but uh, they're amazing. Yeah, like, from well, okay. A production so, point of view. so the qualities I'm saying, I mean, you could almost even take this off an acapella rap. So when I say originality, I just mean it clearly being you and your own style. So as soon as if you you can hear Kanye West rap for like two seconds, and you know you know it's Kanye, right? You recognize yeah. his voice, you recognize his flow. He doesn't sound like someone else, like if if you sound, I think it, I, I I notice with like all my favorite rappers, I can recognize them immediately, right? As soon as they're on a song, if you know it's a guest, guest verse or something, it's like boom, you know who that is, you know, oh that that's Jay Z right there, oh that's Snoop Dogg, right? Like you hear their voice, you hear their style, oh it's DMX, right? Like it's very it's very obvious. But would You're you be able to recognize a, a Kanye song because sometimes he's not always the main rapper on his songs. And, um, and and his production, he it feels like he reinvents oh, okay. himself every as a, album. As a, as a producer, not necessarily, but as a rapper, yes. Okay. Yeah, as a rapper, yes. Um, and then you know, some of it is a lot of it is subjective. You know, a lot of it is subjective. People just like different people. Just like different things. You know, there's artists that I might think are are terrible, and but millions of people love them. There's artists that I might think are great, but you know, millions of people love them, but millions of people also dislike them. I know people who think that Eminem is a terrible rapper. Um, I, I know people who think that Tupac's not a great rapper. I mean, that it, I don't know how that's really debatable. But like to me, Eminem is objectively an incredible rapper. Even if you don't like his music, I don't know how come someone could say that he's not a good rapper. Um, but <laughs> I, I don't know. I guess this is the whole objectivity subjectivity thing. So, so when you when you're sitting down to make a new album, do you you focus on okay, what do I want to say? Let's write the lyrics. How do you? Here's what here's what I don't know. I get, the, I get the production first. Oh, you get the production first. So you're start, you're, you're with, looking I for a beat first, and then you make yeah, the. I start, I start with the beat, yeah. And then you work for, or look for a rap or lyrics around that. Yeah, if I hear a beat that I like, then stuff will start coming to my brain immediately. And and. And forgive me for the naive questions, but like no, it's all good, man. Yeah, I'm always just really curious about this this artistic process. This in particular, because it's such a it's such an important art form of music over the past 40, 30 years. But 
and, and again, this is the most naive question at all, but what's the role of rhyme in rap? And again, I've been listening to rap all my life mm. and sometimes it rhymes, sometimes it doesn't, but they always make it feel like it rhymes. And I know yeah. this is, I'm, I, I know I'm going to listen to this later. I'm saying, am I the stupidest person <laughs> on the planet? But I'm just really curious because sometimes they, I hear two lines that sound like they rhyme, but then when you think about it, they're not really rhyming. Mm -hmm. And so that must be in the delivery. Yeah, that's the power of assonance and delivery. And even with things down to the, the artist accent can change which words you're able to rhyme. So there are rappers. So a rapper from London will be able to rhyme things that don't rhyme in a Texas accent. <laughs> I, I, I could I believe that, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I've heard of rappers from Houston rhyme boss with North. Yeah, okay. Right? Just because of, of the draw that they have. And it just kind of works. So, but you know, I think with with most lyrical forms of music in general, rhyme is rhyme is supremely important because that's what if you don't have the rhyme or at least a half rhyme, then it all sounds really jarring and weird. And I get, yeah, it falls more into almost like a, a spoken word type type of thing or or, or a speech. I think that your brain, like our brains are always recognizing patterns. It's an interesting question because I've never really thought about it like that. Like rhyming is just some sort of like, well, obviously it's rap, you rhyme, you know? Um, but I think our brains, our brains sort of form these patterns and they have expectations. So if you're supposed to hear a rhyme or it sounds like a rhyme is coming and then it doesn't, it creates this like jarring, creates this jarring effect that ruins the flow of music. Just like if you had a melody, I mean, you could you could hear a brand new melody that someone's playing on a piano or a guitar or something, and you notice when a note is wrong because your brain is anticipating, your brain's anticipating the next thing. So when you hear that off note, it's like ooh, like it pull it pulls you out of the magic because it wasn't what you were expecting. So that's one thing that's so interesting to me with art and with music in particular, which is that it's so loose and you have so much space for creativity, but there are still rules to the game. It's a little bit like chess, right? Like there are, I, I haven't done the math on this, but there's like, you know, millions and millions and millions of different, uh, you know, chess plays and boards that are possible, probably, probably billions. Um, but chess still has, chess still has rules. So you can play the game all of these different ways. The same with sports, right? You can play in all sorts of different ways and there can all be these different flourishes and all there's all these infinite possibilities, it seems, but there's actually still somewhat tight bounds of what you can and can't do, right? Like if you're playing football or what Americans refer to as soccer, right? Like you, you can't just pick, you can't pick the ball up, all right? You have to play with your feet. Okay. So the, this is a great example though. Those are like kind of technical rules. That's the rules of the sport okay. or the game or the musical form. Like yeah. if you're rapping chances are you're going to use words. That's the form. And, yeah, you better. <laughs> but but like, for instance, in chess, the way to win, and, and so then there's like the next level of rules, which is that, oh, if you could take a queen with your pawn, you should do it. You could win material and that will win the game. Or, or if you could uh, uh, seize an open file or something like that, there's kind of then higher and higher meta rules of how to play mm -hmm. a good game. And then the winner, though, is usually the one who breaks the rules is the one who, oh, everybody expects me to do this. So that's why my opponent made this move, but now I'm going to su surprise everyone. And I'm going to make this move that actually wins that nobody expected. Mm. And in but music, that's not breaking, something that, similar. That's not, 
but that's not breaking the rules. They're still playing within the rules. Correct. They can't they can't take their pawn and just move it diagonally across the entire board or right. like jump but, it four spaces forward. But as you um, get meta, sometimes it's sort of like rules evolve into expectations. So like yes. sta- or I should say standards. Like, oh, it's mm. usually, you know, this major note is followed by a minor key. But, you know, I'm gonna do something a little different and, and surprise people. And that's where the artistry is going to happen. And yeah. and you know, with with rap, I wonder if there's sometimes when people expect the rhyme or they expect you to 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 close on something, but you that's mm-hmm. where the wordplay comes in and you're able to to stretch out or 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 leave a little mystery in what you're doing. Mm. It can be done, but you know, there's always bounds. And I think that exists with every single art form. I think it's the same with painting, it's the same with drawing, it's the same with stand-up comedy, right? They there there's certain there's a certain pattern and a certain expectation and certain things that are built up. And if you deviate, while, while, while there's so much room for innovation, if you deviate too much and completely break the pattern or the expectation, it f- tends to fall flat because that just doesn't resonate with people, right? You can't just jump on a piano and start hitting random keys and claiming you're creating a new, you know, it sounds terrible. Right, right. And you know, it's, a, it's like there has to, so yeah, you could, you could, I'm sure there's some pianist there who can find some way to innovate on the piano and do something a little bit different. And ooh, that was slightly unexpected, but it's still within that. I, I think it's kind of hitting, I think a lot of interesting art happens on that boundary between, the boundary between order and chaos, right? Yeah. If it's too orderly, it can be boring and generic uninteresting if it's too chaotic it's just messy right if it's just oh i'm making a painting and i'm just throwing paint everywhere it's like well, that's not that's not really art if you're just headbutting your keyboard uh, you know it's like mm, that's not really you're just strumming the guitar randomly and aggressively and it sounds horrible it's like no that's too much chaos um but i think a lot of the interesting stuff is when people are able to f- sort of dance in that line uh, I think that's where the best comedy happens. I think that's where the best music happens. I think that's where the best paintings happen and so on and so forth. So it's uh and sometimes you don't really know where that line is until you until you 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 violate it. Um I think that's something that stand-up comedians are constantly testing, right? They're constantly testing like where where is that line between being funny and maybe a little bit subversive or offensive but not outright you know going so hard that you're not you're not even being funny anymore and you're just being nasty right and it comes across as with with ill intent or that you're actually trying to hurt people or something like that so whereas again you know if you if you go too far in the orderly direction and everything is so politically correct and so whatever that it's like it's not it's like this isn't even funny this is just you know it doesn't feel like comedy anymore it's like someone just giving you a lecture so there's always a balance and like where where do you where do you see that line in your rap hmm again it's it's not something i actively think about so it's a tricky question to answer i just create like i don't uh (laughs) i don't think about it that technically i just kind of create maybe it's harder to answer now because Mm. i feel like in the beginning of the form there were so many different ways to experiment. That's true. Like I remember talking to to Coolio once, where he described the difference between him and let's say rappers before him is that he was, 
his rap was a little bit more melodic. Like he was a little mm -hmm. bit more into singing his rap and having like a tune to it as opposed mm -hmm. to kind of straight, you know, rapping to a beat. Uh, I guess he was comparing himself, let's say, to Public Enemy or, or NWA. Yeah. Uh, and, and then you have the Wu-Tang Clan, which I think stretched it further with sort of not as much rhyming and a little bit more raw somehow. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but I don't know lately. I don't know what's, what's been going on lately. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. I mean, I think hip-hop is certainly in general. In terms of the mainstream stuff, it's moved in a more melodic direction in general. There's a lot of very popular sort of half-rappers, half-singers these days. There's a lot of kind of melodic stuff. A lot of it is very heavily auto-tuned. Um, it's not really my my favorite. I, I tend to be, prefer the kind of 90s and 2000s style of more kind of what people would now call rapidy rap. You know, like kind of more uh, more focused on lyricism and wordplay, less vocal processing and auto tune and melody and stuff like that. But as I said, man, different different people like different things, and that's always been the nature of art, um, and it will be. And it's cool because it's good to have a, a big range of things out there. I mean, if if we all if we all liked or believed or you know. If we all like the same things or believe the same things or we're all that like the world would be pretty boring um I, I think oftentimes you know it's it's weird because everyone wants people to like believe what they believe and like what they like and you know support what they support and so on and so forth and I get that but also it would be pretty dull I mean if everyone liked the exact same music and you know maybe you just need like 20 musicians and everyone just likes these 20 musicians and all the other ones that could exist no, no, nobody likes that it would be it would be pretty dull if we all agreed on everything conversations would be pretty boring if we all looked the same and spoke the exact same language and whatever like humanity would be would be quite dull it would just be like robots so i'm telling you your next book's got to be the fight against boredom something like that something like that yeah <laughs> where 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 can people find your music right now where they where can they listen to it what's the best place sure um so the easiest is probably whatever platform you use usually listen to music on whether it's spotify or itunes or apple music or bandcamp so on and so forth i'm on all of them just search my name zuby z-u-b-y and you will find me on there can also find me on all social media at Zuby Music, Z-U-B-Y Music, same handle on everything, and people can find me there as well. Also, your book, Strong Advice, which is your book about fitness, can mm. people get that on Amazon? It's not on Amazon, so don't go to Amazon looking for it, but if you go to teamzuby.com, T-E-A-M-Z-U-B-Y.com, then you can get it there. You can also get my music and merchandise there as well. Uh, yeah, I like your shirts, and you have, you have the... Um... Uh, a fully jacksonated sweatshirt. I need to uh, wear that. Yeah, get one, man. <laughs> so, uh, but Zuby, thanks so much for once again coming on the podcast. Always, always learn stuff from you, and your every content you put out is always thoughtful and, and insightful. And I really appreciate everything you do. And uh, thanks once again. Nice one, James. I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Thanks. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. 
Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.